organization continue to react to the team's on-ice woes? It's the Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drant, who of course also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. And Drancer, the Canucks are scheduled to get on the ice to practice in about half an hour. We will have all of the updates from that practice. If there's any interesting line combinations, what kind of workout the team goes through, all of that, we'll have it for you. But that's not the biggest story going on with this team right now. It, it Really, we're past the point of doing a deep dive on who's playing with Elias Pettersson and how Power Play 1 is setting up. The big story happening with this team, with the Canucks, right now on this day is what's going on at the ownership and executive level. And Sportsnet's insider Elliot Friedman earlier this, earlier this morning tweeted out that he is hearing... Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini will meet with Jim Benning this afternoon. Here's what Freeman says. He says, neither individual will comment, but from what I understand, this is a meeting to understand why the team is losing and address it, not to make a change at the position. That is from Sportsnet insider Elliot Friedman. And that, as you might imagine, Drancer, that has people in this market reacting in various different ways. It's a leak that helps nobody. Right? Like, it, it really is a leak that helps nobody. What it serves to do is confirm, in fact, regardless of the qualifier, that there's not the meeting is not to make a change at the moment. It serves to confirm the fact that the club's performance, and by extension, the job performance of the executive responsible for building the club, is under scrutiny internally. That's what it serves to do. Beyond that, it now sort of shifts the focus back onto Canucks ownership, right? Do they have the will or the vision or the budget to make any types of changes here, right? Like, that's now the big question, inevitably, that comes out of Friedman's sort of overall report here or the fact that this meeting has leaked. Um, you know, a lot of hot dog memes going around Twitter, yes. like, we're trying to find yep. the guy that did this, and that's pretty much perfect. It does sort of feel like a bunch of six-year-olds with chocolate ice cream all over their face having a very important meeting to understand where all the chocolate ice cream went, right? Um feels like a meeting to draft, like a high-level executive meeting to draft Francesco's next Twitter thread. And it's going to do nothing, nothing to quell the deep skepticism that this market now has about this club's direction and about the ability of, again, and this is important, not just current management, but current ownership yes. to fix the problem. Yeah. And, and when you get to that level, right, when you lose maneuverability in terms of being able to have an executive that takes the heat off of ownership, that is where when your baseline is like too low, right? That, that is where it becomes really hard to build or solve any types of confidence issues that inevitably crop up. Like, like teams lose games, right? Like teams will yep. lose games. This club right now, as a brand in this market, has so little public confidence that they can't take any punches. Like they just can't take any punches. Last year, they sort of did the Twitter thread to, to sort of, push it under the rug and ultimately they decided not to make changes and in so doing they've even further limited their maneuverability this time now this leak comes out this information comes out that the club is in fact having a meeting to what i mean discuss solutions to this club's woes like to discuss trading for a right-handed centerman or a 
another lefty that yep. can kill penalties, make a panic trade, maybe make a coaching change, something like that. I mean, sure, whatever. If you you know, it's lipstick on a pig, and this market knows that. This market knows that. So you know, it it's one of those things that just no one is benefiting from this Friedman report. Um, and and once the information gets out, like honestly, I think you have to comment on it and and just like you know something simple like. We still believe in Jim Benning's vision, but obviously the club's performance is unacceptable and we're working together to figure out solutions. Something like that. Just like, you know, boilerplate, you know, a boilerplate thing because in the mood in this market to hear that there's a meeting but there's no prospect of meaningful accountability coming out of it yep. in advance serves nobody. Well, the mood in the market is still at a fever pitch, and you're right. This Having a meeting is not going to do anything to lower the temperature in the market. By the way, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts in. Plenty of them coming in now. We will get to as many as we can throughout the course of the show. We want to hear your thoughts. Again, Elliot Friedman reporting that Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini will be meeting with Jim Benning this afternoon, but according to Friedman, it is not to make a change at the general manager position. And I, I did have to have a bit of a chuckle, right? They're, uh, they're meeting to understand why the team is losing. And, you know, that could either be a very, very short meeting or a very, very long meeting, depending on how much detail you want to go into, because there's a lot of reasons why the time is losing, but also it's it's pretty obvious and it's pretty clear in a lot of respects why the team is losing. And th- this, this whole idea of the meeting, it... It cuts into a few of the things we've been talking about. And first of all, and, and this was brought up, uh, certainly I know, by us yesterday and by Bick Nazar on Sportsnet Today, by others on the station, others in the, in the market yesterday. You know, we talk about a lack of accountability from the players on the ice, right? Them not necessarily competing to the final whistle against Anaheim, hanging Yaroslav Flack out to dry. But we're also seeing a lack of accountability play out throughout the organization, right? And as you said, Okay, you you're gonna leak this. You're gonna let this be known that this is that we're having this well, high level meeting, or or at the very least, you know, once it gets to Friedman, who's sure. a killer reporter. Yeah, I mean, this course. might not be a targeted leak. This might be Friedman being plugged in. Well, I think this is Friedman being plugged yeah. in enough to get the intel. But once that happens, I think you do have to give him some color. You yeah. do have to you do have to guide it a little bit. You know, uh, beyond beyond. Yeah, it's a meeting with no chance of change coming. Right, like that's that's really where you sort of paint yourself into a corner. And again, when you look at it, we're also told constantly that Francesco Aquilini and Jim Benning are in near constant contact, right? That they talk almost every day about the state of the team, about what's going on with the team. Not to mention Francesco's been at every single Canucks game. Like, I know it became a big story, Francesco's whereabouts. Like, where in the world is Francesco (laughs) Aquilini over the weekend, right? Jeff Merrick reporting that he was on the trip, and then Ian McIntyre reporting that he wasn't at the game on Sunday. And both things sort of had legs as stories because that's how high the temperature is around the team in this market. Deservedly so, by the way. Yep. And yet, you know, he was on the first trip. Like he he went he went to Buffalo and Detroit and Edmonton. Like not 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 a lot of joyful destinations there. That's not exactly the Vegas, Denver, uh, Newport <laughs> Beach trip, right? So you know, you sort of look at that and think, I mean, what what does he need to understand? He's been at every game. He's been at every game. Like, I mean, look, we meet every day to discuss why this team's losing. Yes. But like you can recap it in in a, in a couple of sentences, exactly. You know, and and you can recap what they need in a couple of sentences. You can do it on a phone call, anytime you want. <laughs> anytime you want. A ten minute phone call. Totally. So our, that... our PK is historically bad. We probably need another lefty who can who can penalty kill. We probably need a right handed centerman. I mean, what what else is there to say? 
what else is there to say? Well, you know, our young players aren't playing well. You know, we, we, we're not happy with the special teams, and we don't think we're playing up to our potential. Boom. There you go. There you go. Nice. Wrap it in a bow. Wrap it in a bow. That's it. The issue is not fundamentally also any of those things, right? The issue is that this team has nowhere near enough talent, nowhere near enough two-way intelligence, especially on the blue line. Nowhere near. Like, come on. And in the context of, you know, this is not Francesco Aquilini, and this is, I know, been a source of frustration for many Canucks fans, but he's not exactly a hands-off owner, right? As, as we said, he's in touch with Jim Benning. He, he knows what's going on with the team. He's been at every game almost until the Anaheim game this year. He's around the team. He's keeping tabs on it. So what that, that raises the question of, okay, what, what's different about this conversation then between Jim Benning and Francesco Eccolini because we know that they talk regularly. So why is this one different? And I guess what it is, it's the it's the second part of what Friedman says is the purpose of this meeting, right? He says this is a meeting to understand why the team is losing and address it. Now, he does say not to make a change of the general manager position, but he does say address why the team is losing. So naturally... You hear that. If you're a Canucks fan, you hear that, and you start to, okay, well, if it's not a change of the general manager position, what are the other options? What what could this meeting meaningfully produce in terms of something that could address why the team is losing? Well, so for sure, Canucks Hockey Operations believes that this group needs some type of wake-up call, right? Now, that can come in a variety of forms. It can come in the form of a trade. It could come in the form of a coaching change, right? Th- those are the two main options at this point in the season. Yeah. So presumably this is about presenting options and, and making a decision. I mean, that would be the easiest read on it because it's clearly not about a wider change in vision or direction, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's sort of where we get to. Like, what type of wake-up call does Jim Benning have the weight at this juncture of his Canucks tenure to execute, Right. Does he have the weight to do a trade that includes the first-round pick? I'd guess not. Right? Not with how this team is performing. No. No one's trading a first-round pick with where the Canucks are in in their standings. Surely. Surely. Right? So probably something smaller than that. In the event that it's a coaching change, you know, do you have the weight? Do you grant this administration the weight to go out and spend the $14 million it would take to, to get one of the big-name guys that yeah. – Texters to the Dunbar Lumber, Lumber in, oh my goodness, Dunbar it's Lumber. Tricky. It's yeah, a it tricky is. one, Drancer. The Dunbar Lumber inbox always suggests to us, right? We hear a lot of Boudreaux and yep. we even hear some Claude ba- Julian. And we hear some Babcocks, yes. which is weird. He wouldn't be very expensive, though. So yeah, he's, co- he's working for free right now. <laughs> I'm, one suspects he'd work for free to get, get a chance again in the show. So overall, overall, you sort of take this and, and sort of think, yeah, I mean, Sounds like they're, you know, it's a meeting to rearrange deck chairs. Like, where exactly should this deck chair on the Titanic go? (laughs) I mean, that's what it feels like. There's no way any fan who's coming to Wednesday's game and considering how they're going to conduct themselves, how they're going to react to this team, particularly should it struggle against Colorado. Yeah. There's no way any fan hears this news that there's a meeting no chance of changes yeah. to understand. I'll, I'll sleep easy tonight. Yeah, no no one no one is hearing that and is like, oh, it's all done. We took like, care of it. We oh, fixed it. I'm not worried anymore. <laughs> Francesco Aquilini and Jim Benning are on it. There's no one in this market that no. would react that way. So, you know, I, I just think it's a tough spot to be in overall. It is. And 
here's the thing. Okay, so obviously, if you're not changing the general manager, but you're you're working on potential options to address what's happening with the team, as you said, you're talking about a trade, or you're talking about a coaching change. But in either direction, I mean, let's say you make the coaching change, right? As you said, it would surprise me if. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna let go of Travis Green. We're gonna go in another direction. Here's fifteen million dollars to go sign Claude Julian. That would be a very very surprising move in this moment. What would be more likely to me is you have a plausible interim option on the bench right now in Bradshaw. So you would let go from Travis Green. You would make Bradshaw your interim, and you would reassess at the end of the season or near the end of the season. But you don't need just, the rest of the that season. That just feels like kicking the can down the road. And it feels of course that it just is. feels like a prelude to making larger <laughs> organizational changes. So what does that accomplish in the here and now other than buys time desperately trying to get some heat off? It buys time and it saves money. And that's it. But but again, the confidence crisis that surrounds this team, there's no avoiding that the bill will come due. There's no there's no like unless this team reels off a massive win streak yeah. in their next 25 games and they really have about 25 games where if they can put together something like a, t- a 10 one and one stretch over 12 you'd save the season sure. at this point unlikely unlikely but you know it's not so late yet this no. team this team would be in a playoff spot roughly with a 103 point pace 105 point pace the rest of the way get them into the mid 90s like it's not so late that we're talking about like the Canucks have to win at a president's trophy right. winning pace right we're still not there yet so I, I mean, you could buy time and hope for that, but like hope is what got the Canucks here. Hope yeah. is not a plan. Yeah, hope is not a plan at this point, and neither is neither is performative accountability, like like this leaked meeting. I mean, honestly, it's it's really hard to wrap your head around it. Just as a just as a overall sort of market positioning with all of Vancouver foaming at the mouth about how this team has performed and how poorly it's performed for so long, right? Like, this team has been in the mid-20s in terms of their point percentage. Seven of the last... Um, seven of the la- six of the last seven years, yeah. right? Six of the last seven years. You need to understand what's going wrong? Like, you're doing the same stuff. You've been doing the same stuff for seven years with actually very consistent results. The... <laughs> There's no the other the other year by the way the one that doesn't qualify you were 17th so it's not like you were significantly no, better you weren't at the top of the league no you, you weren't even in the middle of the league you weren't even the, you were sub average so you know it's it the framing the leak the way that it shifts pressure onto ownership the way that it protects in some ways club management um, but but not really like it protects them in terms of calming people down if you're refreshing your Twitter feed every five minutes to see if the Canucks are making a change right. ma- in management. But it actually shifts pressure further onto your head coach, who has to speak to the media, by the way, in an hour and yep. 15 minutes, 75 minutes or so, and and also confirms, for the market, confirms, like Streisand effect confirms that ownership is dissatisfied and is considering their options, Yeah, which actually also turns up the heat on Jim Benning. And now... And now should Jim Benning speak to the media at any point this week? What's the first question? What was the purpose of the meeting? What yes. was accomplished? How did it go? Are you concerned for your job? Like, no one is served by this. No one is served. This this does in no way satisfy the market, nor does it turn pressure down around this team. It's it's wild. Like, it's it's can't tie your shoe stuff. And the only if there if this the if the purpose of this meeting is to in the short term take heat off in the market and avoid the possibility of a really 
you know, negative homestand, which we've heard over and over that that's a concern, right? And I know Satyar Shah on the People Show last night on Sportsnet 650 was reporting that there is genuine concern in the organization on, you know, what the fan reaction on this homestand could be. But having a meeting and even potentially making a trade or making a coaching change, I'm not sure how much that's actually going to change fan reaction at these upcoming home games. To my mind, the only thing that's really going to change how fans view this team is, one, either an extended, you know, six-week or two-month stretch of extremely positive results, right? That could always do it. Or a complete shift in organizational direction, right? Which is going beyond changes behind the badger, going beyond changes to the roster. And short of those, either one of those two things happening, I think it's all, as you said, kind of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And if the goal is to avoid a restless crowd at Rogers Arena at some point in this homestand, I don't think that's going to cut it. That's coming. Like, that's coming anyway. Yeah. No matter what you do. No matter what you do. So, anyway, you know what? Fundamentally, this club has been directionless for an awfully long time. Today feels like more of the same. This market's smart enough to realize that. This organization doesn't seem to be smart enough to realize it's not good enough. And that's the bottom line. And at least with a coaching change, let's say they did make a coaching change and Bradshaw is the interim. Okay, you've you've admitted that Travis Green's not the guy here going forward and you're going to address it in the offseason. That's a reasonable hockey decision. And again, it's not going to change the tenor of the conversation in the market, I don't think, but it's a normal NHL hockey thing to do. The idea of making a trade at this juncture, okay, what are you talking? You're not talking, as you said, you're not trading your first round pick. Or if you are, then the problems are even bigger than we thought if the Canucks are trading their first round pick right now. So you're talking about that classic hockey trade, right? And we all know the names that are going to be thrown in that mix as potentials to move potential people to move out, right? It's JT Miller. It's maybe Brock Besser since he's in his final year of his deal. If you're trading a player like that, that's a massive, massive decision for this franchise, especially because you're not dealing from a position of strength, right? If you're trying to do it right now to turn your season around, well, every other team in the league knows well, that. They know you're not in a strong position. So if you're doing that, you have to have the right person in charge of a decision like that. And is is the right person, Jim Benning, in this moment in time to make those decisions for this team? Not if this group's not confident that he's going to be at the helm beyond the season, right? Exactly. You know, and and then and then you come back to the other thing too, the the coaching thing, right? Because you mentioned it's not the right time, right? Yeah. One thing about the about the one thing about changing coaches, right? And and changing management too, by the way, right? There are hidden costs. Yep. There are hidden costs to making those moves. And and here's the main one. I don't mean like who's the, is there anyone better out there? I always think that's a cop out argument. That's not what I'm saying. One of the hidden costs is that there are players in this lineup, right, that play a ton <laughs> that, that another coach might not have time for, right? So, I, and, like, I think about a guy like Tanner Pearson. On this team, Tanner Pearson is glued to Bo Horvat, and fans hate that, yep. right? Hate that. But he is a top six forward on this team for this coach. Yep. Could another coach put him on the fourth line? Yeah. Yes. 100%. Like, there are definitely coaches that would be like, this guy can't keep up, not enough pace, fourth liner for me. And then you've got a $3.25 million piece who become like, there's opportunity costs there. That impacts his asset value. That impacts everything in terms of the Canucks' positioning, right? So in the event that you are thinking about changing direction after the season, you have to weigh that too in terms of 
what happens to some of the pieces that you might need to move on from in terms of their valuation should you change coaches. You have to weigh that. Now, here's the other thing, and this is the, this is the more important one in terms of timing on the other option. Because you brought yep. up timing on a trade. Yep. You brought up autonomy in terms of the timing of a trade. Vancouver's best young players have played poorly. Very poorly. Yep. Right? There are suggestions that, you know, the coach has lost the room or whatever. That That's common in hockey. But there are suggestions about that specifically as it pertains to Vancouver's young core. Correct? With that swirling about, if it's true, if it's true, if you move or change the coach now, do you send the lesson or do you teach your young core the lesson that, hey, you, you can probably get this guy fired quit, if, quit you, on the if, coach. You, if you quit? Yeah. Is that something you can afford to do with this club at such a delicate position in their sort of team building cycle and more, most importantly with some of their best young players in such a delicate moment in their development cycle? I, my, my suggestion to you is no, that this team's problems – should like this this team's problems are at the apex of the organization yeah. and they they need to be addressed they do need to be addressed and you know lipstick on a pig finding a right-handed centerman sure i mean if you can do it on waivers or if you can do it on the cheap like a, a lamico for your levy thing whatever yeah. sure fine but if you're trading brock <laughs> if you're trading a 24 year old like guy who was your leading scorer a year ago for what like to do what to do what yeah. like is there what what type of piece would have to come back you know, like Dante Fabro, like that's not cutting it. A young RD who's not as good a player, that doesn't make you better. No. So it's it's really hard for me to think that a trade or a coaching change is the right move here. This organization needs a more fundamental rethink and, and sort of a performative accountability meeting. That sure ain't the answer. And just on the whole idea of a trade, because again, Sat reported last night, I know that the organization is concerned that there's some sort of problem in the locker room. And that, that's not a new thought. We've heard that, right? Is the chemistry off? What's going on? What's the mood in the locker room, right? But even if you accept that there is this kind of widespread dissatisfaction among the players and it's it's dramatically impacting their play and their performance on the ice, Drancer, you know this. There's only one thing that's actually going to fix that, and it's winning hockey games, right? You're not going to get your way out of this by doing addition by subtraction. I don't think this team is at a spot where, oh, okay, you know what, there's there's one guy or there's two guys who are really dragging the mood in the locker room down, and if we get rid of them, you'll watch. All of a sudden, Elias Pettersson will start playing like Elias Pettersson. All of a sudden, we'll be able to kill penalties. All of a sudden, the power play will start clicking. We'll start standing up for each other and fighting back in games. I think that is a naive way to view the situation. Sure, let's, let's assume that there is. Let's accept for the idea of the argument that there is this kind of awful vibe and something is off in the locker room, the way to fix that is by winning hockey games. I, I think if you if you expect you're going to turn this team around by trading somebody who's given off bad vibes to the rest of the team, <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't think that's realistic. Who, 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 if you have a player who's giving off good vibes with the way that this Canucks season has gone, that's the problem. Yeah, who's whistling to work every day? Totally. Like yeah. that's the guy. That's the guy to be suspicious of. Not the guy who's mad at every moment because the team's not good. Like that's the guy you want. So look, and and obviously there's a limit to that, right? There are players that are so hard driving that they're hard to be around when the team is losing. Um, by the way, an interesting note from practice. There's two so far that have already stuck out to me. I want to get to really quickly before the break. 
One is Thatcher Demko was out here 45 minutes before yep. practice with Ian Clark. They went through a ton of drills, including a bunch of drills that involved no pucks, just 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 movement, just working on his movement. Obviously, we know Demko did not have the games that he would have wanted, even though neither loss was on him against Vegas and Colorado. He's had a few days to sort of reset his game here. 45 minutes with Ian Clark before practice, that's a marathon session. That, to me, looks like one of Clark's classic sort of resets. They used to do them with Jacob Markstrom a lot. The other thing is Canucks power play working 15, 20 minutes before practice. Units are the same, so no changes in terms of personnel. But one thing that sort of interested me was seeing that uh, Bradshaw, assistant coach Bradshaw, and also assistant coach with special assignments Kyle Gustafson, working closely with the power play unit uh, in addition to Jason King. So obviously clubs trying a a couple of things here uh, before practice even gets underway. Yeah, new set of eyes, and we'll keep you updated on everything that happens. Again, practice not officially underway just yet, just some of the special teams and goaltenders getting in some work. Uh, The rest of the team filtering onto the ice. We'll bring you any updates live from Rogers Arena at Canucks practice. We will continue to dive into the latest reporting. What is the organization thinking ahead of tomorrow's home game against the Colorado Avalanche? And we'll read a ton of your texts because there's a ton of them coming in. 650-650, keep them coming. We want to involve you in the conversation. That's all coming up next. Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live at Rogers Arena where the Canucks are practicing. Practice is in full swing here on the ice, of course. They will get back in action tomorrow when they host the Colorado Avalanche here at Rogers Arena. A lot of eyes. A lot of eyes going to be on that one. Drancer Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient, reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep your thoughts coming in. Lots and lots of them came in in the first segment. Want to read a few of them here. And, you know, Drancer, we were talking. Obviously, the big news today around the team is as Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet NHL insider, who is just about as locked in as you can possibly be in the NHL, reporting that Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini is going to meet with Jim Benning this afternoon. Uh, He says that, Friedman says that it is a meeting to understand why the team is losing and address it not to make a change at the GM position. And so you hear that, and obviously the two places your mind goes logically are potential coaching change or a potential trade of some sort to do anything they can to try to turn the on-ice product around and give it a little bump here before, as you say, Drance, if a season is completely lost. And, you know, we were kicking around the idea of a trade. What would that look like? Would it make any sense at this juncture of the season? And, look, the name that comes up over and over again in the 650-650 inbox is JT Miller, right? And, and I understand it. You know, his age, salary status, you would think he would have some value around the league, all of that. Questions about his fit from a personality standpoint. There's a lot of reasons why his name comes up. But, you know, Dan in Fort St. John, and I don't want to pick on Dan, but he says, trade Miller for Shea Theodore. You're not getting Shea Theodore for <laughs> JT Miller. And, and, I, and I get it. It seems simple in, in one respect, right? Okay, trade a winger for a really good defenseman because you're trading from a, you know the one position of strength organizationally, really, that the Canucks have, which is on the wing, for a position of need, which is on your blue line. But the problem with doing that, let alone doing it right now in this moment for the franchise, the problem with doing that ever 
is it's going to come with a massive talent downgrade because the NHL correctly values defensemen much more highly than they do guys who play on the wing. Yep. I, well, correctly, depending on the winger, but yeah, I sure. mean, for sure. Uh, in general, defense is a more premium position, although we've sort of seen we've sort of seen that understanding change a little bit, a little bit in recent years. Like it's not as it's not as dramatic as it was when Taylor Hall returned right, Adam, Adam Larson. Larson. One, one for one. One for one. Baby. One for one. But the <laughs> but the uh, the the discrepancy does still exist. Look, it would be really like JT Miller's this team's leading scorer. And not not by a little bit, like by a lot. Yeah, by a lot. Still a key I, player. Yeah, no kidding. Like if you're trading JT Miller, you're making a pretty substantive renovation to what your priorities are in terms of competing this year and next, right? Like you are changing an awful lot about what you want to accomplish with this group. Are they there yet? I would be shocked. I would be shocked that, by that type of move. Um, you know, I, I, and again, that that is the type of move that I do think you need clarity on the long-term sort of stakeholders that you're choosing to lead your club forward if you're going to make the type of deal that might launch not a re-rebuild, but but certainly a mini reset of of some kind. And don't forget, JT Miller, one of the kind of marquee acquisitions of the Jim Benning era, right? Like that was a massive gamble that draft day deal with the draft here in Vancouver and. Again, to to trade him right now, if you're doing that because, oh, you know, the team needs a shakeup, so uh, we'll trade our leading scorer. We'll trade the guy who's been one of our leading scorers since he's been in town. A guy who plays in all situations for us, that is, to me, that's grasping at straws, right? And look, if you get to the offseason and, and you look at your roster situation and you want to explore trades for JT Miller, that's completely fine. But doing it in season in this moment with the expectation that it's going to turn your year around and really change what you're doing on the ice. Again, as I said, I think that Drancer is drafting, or excuse me, grasping at straws. Another thing that comes in a lot, a lot, we see a lot of questions about this. Uh, the idea of whether or not Bo Horvat is the right captain for this team. We had a couple texts come in just a few minutes ago. One just straight up saying that is Bo the right captain for this team, and another one saying. How about removing the C from Horvat and giving it to Miller instead? And I think it's just another one of those situations. I mean, if you're, you know, stripping the captaincy from somebody, that just screams that you're in panic mode right now. That's not lowering the temperature. That's that's in some ways throwing Bo Horvat under the bus rather than standing up and taking accountability for yourself. And that's again, comes back to just the overall lack of communication, lack of clarity, and lack of accountability that we have seen from this organization. And as you said, now with this news from Elliot Friedman reporting that there's a meeting between Aquilini and Jim Benning happening this afternoon, you know, Travis Green is going to talk to the media in, what, 45 minutes here? And he's going to be asked about that. And so often, Travis Green has been the point person, always the one addressing everything happening with this team. It's just it is not, that is not going to do anything to rebuild consumer confidence when it's always your head coach, always, 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 who's the only one communicating anything. Build a good team, win games. That's it. That's it. And and for so long in this market too, we, we, you know, this organization is skated on having like good young players on a on a team that still loses a lot of games. You know what I mean? Like that's been enough. And this year, I mean, honestly, this year. If the team had just treaded, treaded, treaded water, right, had just not been a disaster, 
you probably would have seen something similar with people being like, but look at Hoaglander and Pod Colson. Like, my goodness, all the prospects they have coming. Yep. And for whatever reason, wins and losses just have not dented, it seems, until now, this market's confidence in this organization and this management group. And it needs to. Like, the bottom line needs to matter more than Calder wins or Calder nominees or or how good you think a team is at, at drafting. You know, like, it, win games. Win games, that's it. That's the goal. Win games and aim high. Aim, like, carry yourself carry yourself with some ambition. You know, I, I think about this offseason, right? And a lot of people now are coming at, coming at people like me, media. You guys were so full of praise for the Canucks' offseason, right? Which, you know, it was qualified praise. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think if you read anything I wrote this summer, you'd, you'd detect an awful lot of cynicism about the quality of the Canucks' blue line. But the fundamental thing that the organization did do well this offseason, right, that I liked, was they hit their deadlines. There was none of this, you know, we ran out of time stuff. Yep. They hit their deadlines. It was a professional offseason. Got they their executed, work done early. Yep. Yeah, they executed a ton of volume moves. They they were creative. They se- took advantage of really unique circumstances and offloading Schmidt's deal and, you know, using the Arizona desperation to offload the Oliver ekman Larson contract to mine a really good player, like a genuine first-line talent in Connor Garland. Like, that was good stuff. There was some good stuff in there. It hasn't worked, but there was some good stuff in there. Take that level of ingenuity, right, that the club applied to attempting to build a team that maybe could get into the playoffs. Take that ingenuity and aim higher. Try to build a cup team. Try to build a team that's not just sneaking into the playoffs. Like, try watching... Like, this organization carries themselves like they watched the 2021 Stanley Cup Final between Montreal and Tampa and wanted to be Montreal rather than Tampa. They're the only organization in hockey, in pro sports, that would come to that conclusion, but they did. Like, it's it's like they did. It's it's just mind-blowing to me, Jamie. Mind blowing, and uh, to the whole point of oh well, you you, you liked the offseason moves. Yeah, they did some good things in the offseason, and I don't think they're a sixty point team. Like they're on pace. No, for no, no. Right of course now. not. They're they're obviously underperforming their talent level. Every, nobody is going to sit here and say, "Yep, they're this is the one of the worst rosters ever assembled in NHL history." It's obviously, <laughs> which is what it would be if they finished at sixty points, right? right. It's uh, that's obviously not the case. They are underperforming their talent level, but you can like a lot of the moves they made in the offseason and still acknowledge that the overall talent level is not there, right? Like, both things can easily be true. They can be underperforming their talent level, and the talent level can be insufficient. And I, I sure. think it's, it's sure. pretty clear that both things are the case here. Well, well, and also you have to note, like, if your true talent is a 105-point team, right, and you underperform it by 20 points, you're still a plus 500 team in terms of point percentage, right? Yep. If you're a true talent 85-point team, 87-point team, which is what the Canucks were for me, high 80s, low 90s, in that range and you underperform it by 20 points, you're disa- you're dis- you're a disaster, right? That's the problem with having a low baseline. That's that's exactly what the Canucks have been for so long. And when I talk about poor roster construction, that's what I talk about. It's about being hope-proof. It's about hope-proofing your club so that injuries don't derail you every season. Like this team, this team in fairness, I don't think should have been expected to anticipate that Brandon Sutter late in right. the summer would have complications arising from long COVID symptoms. That, or that Travis Hamanick would ultimately uh, have some personal matters to sort through, including his vaccination status, and miss the first six weeks of the season. Like, you couldn't have anticipated those items, right? And those items have dented the club's hopes specifically, the Sutter thing. 
but you can't have your season derailed by Brandon no. Sutter by a Brandon Sutter injury. In fact, the club signed him to a deal at one point one two five million, which is the exact amount that you can bury in the A, because they knew that there were durability concerns there. They didn't know there were long COVID durability concerns, but they knew in signing Brandon Sutter, as everyone would, that the chances that he plays forty games were pretty high. Right? They built that in. So you can't be surprised by it. You can't have your season derailed by a, a four or five defenseman in a fourth line center, you know, or, or PD imploding. Like, you need to be able to tread water when a player like Elias Pettersson struggles for 15 games. Other teams do. Other teams do. And this team just has no baseline. So when things go against them, or even when they get elite goaltending, they can't, they can't feast off of it. And when, thing, and when things go well for them, they don't make enough hay out of it. So it's just... That's what poorly constructed means. That's what we're seeing in real time as this season goes on. And, like, we don't know exactly. The Canucks still have time to show us who they are as a group. We don't know for certain that they're a really bad team or that they're not good enough, yep. ultimately. We'll know, we'll know, in a, you know, once they play double the amount of games, we'll know what this team is. This team still has some time to show us who they are, in my view. But what we've seen is consistent with a team structurally that's not close to being good enough. And, and you know, addressing that in a way that restores some confidence to this market, that's going to take some doing. An awful lot more than a leaked meeting that has no prospect of actually creating much change. And even on the Brandon Sutter thing, and you're absolutely right, that's that's you can't predict that. But at the end of training camp, at the end of the preseason, they go out and they target somebody that they think can fill that fourth-line center role in Yuho Lamico. And it hasn't worked out, right? Like, Good organizations, creative organizations, can find a way to fill a fort to replace a fourth line center in season. And it's not that it's easy, but it is possible. They tried to do it with Yuho Lamico, and it hasn't worked out. So, yes. Well, and, and Sam Carrick was on waivers. He's a right handed draw guy. He's got four goals for Anaheim. Yep. He's crushing it on their PK. Dylan Gambrell was on waivers, right handed centerman. On and on. Michael Amadio was on waivers. Yeah. Riley Sheehan was on waivers. So there you go. It's <laughs> there are there were options here. It's fair to point out the Brandon Sutter injury, but as you said, there are other options. There are other ways to address those needs. There are other ways to try to fill that hole in your roster, and the way they the approach they took hasn't worked out. So that the, you're you're paying the price for it now because you weren't able to fix that problem on your team. Uh, we were talking about the possibility of a, you know, a JT Miller trade. What what's going to come out of this meeting? Are they going to make a coaching change? Are they going to try to move somebody off the roster? Spenny texts in six fifty six fifty. The team needs an actual rebuild. Of course, they should trade Miller. But that's not a right now thing. You don't start a rebuild on November sixteenth, sixteen or seventeen games through the season. That's an off season thing. And again, that's something you undertake when you are absolutely certain. You have your hockey ops department set up exactly the way you want it, which, as you've said many times, Drencher, the fact that they are having these high-level, you know, high-leverage meetings between ownership and the general manager, that indicates that there is some heat on Jim Benning, that they're not 100% convinced Jim Benning is the guy long-term. So if you're not convinced you have the guy long-term, you can't start a rebuild or start a teardown of the roster or anything like that because you need the right person in charge making those decisions. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep your thoughts coming in. I'll try to get to as many of them as I can throughout the course of the show. It's Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet 650, live at Rogers Arena. And 
as we start to look ahead to the game on Wednesday, Drancer, and of course it's been a big talking point, you know, if there's a certain reaction from fans, maybe that spurs change. Maybe that leads them to, instead of just having a meeting like they're having today, to, to take a look at some bigger potential changes in the organization. It, it does seem to me that, and I understand it. Look, the fans are the paying customers, and, and they're going to react to what the paying customers do. But I, I alluded to this a little bit on the show yesterday. At a certain point, try to get ahead of something. Right? Try to predict how fans are going to react to it and avoid having that reaction. I, I, I don't know why it has to be, oh, there's a fiasco happening at Rogers Arena right now. We better make change. Why don't you try to, again, get ahead of it and avoid that fiasco happening in the first place at a certain point? Well, Sam Pollock said, Sam Pollock, of course, is the greatest general manager in the history of the NHL, right? He was yes. in Montreal. Canadian's general manager did... Uh, built the best team in hockey history, a team that only lost eight games the entire season. He always said, or his quote, the famous quote attributed to him is, if you think like a fan, you'll soon be among them. Right? And, you know, this organization, like, that's part of the problem. That's probably part of the problem at the very top, right? Is this organization has had too much weight given to it by the opinion of a fan. Right? A, a, a passionate owner, sure, but also a guy who maybe has had too much input. And, you know, I do wonder if we're at the point, too, where, like, if this organization did make change, right, unless there was someone independent making the hire, the incoming general manager will, will be dented before he lands, will be dented before he lands if the hire is made directly by Canucks ownership. Like, we're at that point in terms of how much confidence this market has in this ownership group to ensure a quality product on the ice. Like a basic level of trust in the Aquilini ownership group is gone. Is gone in this marketplace. I mean, I don't know how you address that. Like honestly, I think that's a that's a huge issue. Like they'd need to honestly hire someone to do the search. Right. You'd almost need to like you need to hire a president who does the search. You won't you there's no way to avoid the cost that will come with restoring confidence in this marketplace at this point, in my opinion, unless this team dramatically turns things around over the next six weeks, and I don't see that happening. So, I mean, that's sort of where we're at. Like, we could not be at a lower moment in where this franchise is at. They might win on Wednesday. They might avoid the Boo Birds. Yeah. But the fact that it has any precedence on organizational um, decision-making in the first place, that means that we're in dark days. Yeah. And that means to me that the decision-making process is off, is wonky, right? As you said, that the fact that it's it hinges not just on the result on Wednesday, but on the crowd reaction on Wednesday. That that, and again, we don't want to you know set up a straw man just to tear it down. I heard Bruff making that point earlier today on Halford and Bruff, right? We don't know for a fact that they're waiting to see what the fans do on Wednesday, but there has been reporting out there from Sat to that effect. That is troubling. Your point about the trust and ownership is so low that even okay, even if they do move on from Jim Benning, there's going to be so little trust in the next hire they make. I think that's right, but it's also you're, you're in a situation where there's no slam dunk options right now, right? Because I get it. Yeah, there there are going to be a lot of people who are deeply cynical if if the, if this ownership are still the ones making the next hire. But guess what? Those people are going to be just as cynical, if not much more cynical, if the status quo 
remains in place. And when you're in a situation where there's no perfect options, at a certain point, you just have to rip the Band-Aid off, right? Like, you have to start digging out of it rather than <laughs> doubling up. down. Yeah, no, you, you got to dig up. You got to dig up. No, but really, <laughs> right? Like, I, like the, the concerns you raise are very justifiable and they're very fair, but they're not going to go away. They're not going to get better by doing nothing. Like, rip the Band-Aid off, take the hit, take the heat of that, but nail the next hire. Find the president of Hockey Ops who has the credibility to make the search. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be difficult. But if you just keep kicking the can down the road, it just gets harder and harder and harder to actually do that, to actually undertake that. And as you said, the damage, meanwhile, to the confidence of the fan base just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this week is this week feels really critical. Like, this week feels like the week where if the team doesn't perform, right, if the if depending on what actions result from today's meeting – Right. Um, You know, I I think this club could be like right now. Right now, the crisis feels very, very uh, January and February 2021. Feels like we've seen this movie before. Yes. Right. Like very Very much so. Very for my Swifties out there. Very much like I think I've seen this film before. Right. Um, The fact is, though, is that we could be in a very different world. In 48 hours, in 72 hours, depending on what happens Wednesday, depending on what comes out of this meeting, depending on what the club decides to do. And they've got a three-game homestand here, or four, yeah, three-game homestand here, and then we get to American Thanksgiving pretty quick thereafter. Yep. Um, you know, this <laughs> this team still has some time to show us who they are. This organization doesn't. This organization has shown us who they are. And that's sort of where this lack of confidence, this confidence crisis sort of is sort of sourced at. I mean, I don't, I don't know how well the club would have to perform at this point to meaningfully allay the very reasonable impatience that fans now have for this, for this entire club and this entire organization, this entire approach to team building. Um, it's a really fascinating dynamic to watch unfold. G-Man from Abby texts in, again with this rebuild stuff. Again, there is too much here to start another rebuild. No way the young core... We'll stay around for a re- rebuild. We're close to ha- we're too close to having a good team to tear it down. And again, I would say that the team has put itself in a position where there are no easy decisions. Because I think the concern that G-Man brings up there, right, that if you try to do something resembling a normal rebuild, you're going to seriously alienate the good young players that you do have. I think that's a fair concern. Totally. I mean, that's absolutely a fair concern. I, I think we're already there. But. The flip side of it is you don't take any forward-thinking long-term moves and you stay where you are right now as an 85- to 90-point team that needs a ton to break right to make it into the playoffs and even more to break right to have a shot at the Stanley Cup. And guess what? That's going to alienate your young players eventually as well. So I agree with you, G-Man. I think that's a very, very fair point to raise. But again, we're at this juncture where there's no clear and obvious, oh, yeah, just do that and everything will be fine. And they've put themselves in that in that position by themselves it's it's fair to say that it would be a headache to manage the impatience of Vancouver's young core in the event that you had to take a step back to take another step forward that would be a headache but when the headache source is banging your head repeatedly against a wall like the only possible solution is to stop doing that whatever the cost yeah and again it's you're avoiding making the painful decisions now and and crossing your fingers and hoping that the root cause will go away, but I just don't see how it is until you rip the bandit off, until you make the changes 
that need to be made. Another one comes in unsigned. What a crock, blaming the owner again. I guess Benning is the best, eh? Yeah. Who Who's decided to keep Jim Benning for the last eight, eight seasons? Uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, here's, here's part of the issue. Here's the other thing that's suggested by this. In the event that the outcome of this meeting is making a trade or, or doing something significant, right? Doing something significant to upgrade the roster on the ice. Why is it being run past the owner first? That's the other. That's the other question being posed by this. Like, why does this organization employ a general manager who needs to present yeah. at this point in the season the reason for their failings to ownership before moving forward and deciding what to do about it? Like, the, that's the other thing suggested by. The Friedman tweet, it, it also is a window into the lack of autonomy that this hockey operations group appears to have at the moment. I mean, first of all, that, that clearly indicates a lack of organizational confidence in Jim, but, uh, but also suggests something darker, right, about where we're at in this moment in Canucks history. And, yeah, there's a reason why we're keeping our focus at the apex of the club, right? It's easy to blame Patterson. It's easy to talk about a coach losing a room. It's easy to talk about locker room cancers in hushed tones. Yeah. It's easy to talk about yeah. who's wearing the C. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's easy to talk about bad contracts and bad trades. You know, the thing that's hard to talk about in hockey is the dynamic of an organization from the very top. Like, that's difficult and far too often it's under discussed. Unfortunately, the way that this Canucks season, the way the last three seasons have played out for this team have put it front and center in this marketplace. We're going to keep our focus there because that's what matters right now. Clearly. That's the key decision maker in this organization, especially in the wake of today's news. That is the story right now. We will keep covering it throughout the day here on Sportsnet 650. And Drance and myself will be back tomorrow at 11 with another edition of the Canucks Hour on a game day. Tomorrow will be between the Canucks and the Avalanche. Thanks for listening. You've got it. The home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.